everybody, it's Tanya Adlita again, back with the Recovering Church Girls and Enlightened Guys, and I indeed have one of those guys with us here today. So I'd like you to give a warm welcome to Mark Kingsdorf, a very dear friend. Um, I'm going to say a very old friend, and I mean that in the length of time that we Hi. have been friends. <laughs> That's so funny. Did I recover okay from that? <laughs> no, you're, you're, hey, I'm old. Trust me, I get it. In, in wedding world, I, I'm, I'm old. I'm not a dinosaur, but I'm old. That's too funny. And that's exactly where we met when we were both in full time, I should say, in the wedding world. Um, neither of us is, is full time in that space in that same capacity any longer. So it's right. interesting just to be able to maintain those friendships no matter where they take us. There's so much value in, in the friendship and being able to keep in touch and see what everybody's up to. So, Mark, I'm so excited about this conversation with you. I can't even tell you. Thanks, Tanya. I'm so, so excited to talk to you. We always have fun when we're together, whether you're oh, yes. popping by <laughs> Disney when I live closer to Disney or whether we just get to talk a little bit. It's always fun. And we know a lot of the same people, so that, that always works, too. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's jump right in. And I love this because at the time of this recording, you actually just posted yesterday on social media that you just became an official member at your church. And it was a really tender moment that you shared. And this idea of your mother's favorite hymns were played along with the selection yesterday and just that presence of knowing that she was there with you. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience for you and then kind of back up what has been your story in the church? Yeah, um, I'm a member of the Metropolitan Community Church here in St. Petersburg, Florida. King of Peace is the name of the church. And Metropolitan Community Churches as a denomination are now international. Um, they are open and affirming, welcoming of gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered, uh, people of different colors, races, backgrounds. So um, it's a church denomination that I fell in love with a long time ago, and we'll talk more about that. But um, when we moved here to St. Petersburg, I realized that the senior pastor here is, and has been for about 10 years, the associate pastor of their church in Washington, D.C., where I was a member back in the mid-80s at a really rough time in my life. Oh, my goodness, and, what a small world. Yeah, so knowing that Candace was here, uh, there was a great connection. St. Pete is definitely a small city. It reminds me a lot of living in Philadelphia because it's blocks and neighborhoods. So I, I'm about five minutes from the church. Oh, nice. um, so my husband, Chuck, and I have become very active over the last year, but had not become members. And Ironically, when I left D.C. in the 80s and I moved back to suburban Philadelphia, where my father lived um, after my mom had passed, I um, transferred my membership back to the church that I grew up in. But anyway, in terms of the church here, um, been very active. I'm on the stewardship committee. Our church does really great things. We just did a soul food dinner where um, members of the African-American community in our church talked about black history and, um, you know, racial struggles and shared typical soul food with, with about 80 members of the congregation. And it was a great night. We've done stuff for um, the... Um, World AIDS Day, where there was an uh, interfaith service and bell ringing. We've been involved with uh, a lot of volunteer things around the church. So it was really time for me to become a member. And because our church has so many different denominations that have come together, uh, the music, the service, how everything flows is really taken from a lot of different faith backgrounds and journeys. So sometimes the music is really Pentecostal. Other times it's more toward that old school. Um, I, I grew up in the, in the Reformed Church of America, Dutch Reformed, and, and it was old school things like that. It, sometimes it leans kind of Catholic or Methodist. Um, and Lately, with a new music minister, it's been this very upbeat, um, fun, almost 
uh, Church of Christ type mm-hmm. energy to the music. And yesterday I was getting out of the car and I listened to a local Christian music station and they were playing I Surrender All. Hmm. <laughs> Crushed me, sat in the car <laughs> and cried before oh. I walked in. And then I got in and church started pretty much as usual, really fun, upbeat music. And first hymn out of the box was They Will Know We Are Christians by Our Love, mm. which was one of my mom's favorites. And then later on in the service was Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. So only thing we were missing was Amazing Grace. And I would have been like, <laughs> so yeah, it, it was it was a great emotional day. I'm thrilled to be an official member. Um, I've been serving on the stewardship committee for the better part of the year. So technically I've been a member for quite a while. I just had to go through some of the classes that they require uh, in your faith journey so that you know a little bit more about yourself and also a little bit about the church. Yeah, I love that idea. And especially when it comes to knowing about ourselves, because I think one of the things that we see most often in the community with recovering church girls is that a lot of the education, a lot of the experience that we all shared was that actually there was a separation of ourselves from the church, from what we were told to do or told to believe or, you know, whatever the case might be in our upbringing. So the idea that this is very specifically designed to help you know yourself and to help you know your faith and bring that all together. I think that that's so interesting. And I love this diversity that you're talking about with all these different pieces, because I think that that's something that so many churches could really learn from if that was something that you know, they were open to. And I think in my experience, there's some that are very open and there's some that are very, very much not open. And those, the latter tend to be the ones that leave the trail of of hearts behind them um, and may not even recognize that that's what happened. And so I think what's so unique and so fun about your story is you're one of the few of the people that we get to talk to that still very much believe in the purpose of the church and believe in the community there. So I love that you get to be this, you know, kind of other story for us to be able to know what your experience has been like, but then also I still got all of the chills. You know, it's like here I am saying I haven't stepped foot in a church in I don't know how long. My faith is still incredibly important to me, and I still got all of the chills listening to you talk about your experience yesterday. So that's just so special. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's been an interesting faith journey for me because there are literally all kinds of people in my church. And while we are Christians and they teach the word of Christ, the bottom line is love, mm. is God's acceptance and love. And there are Black people, Hispanic people, Asian, lesbian couples, gay couples, singles. We have a huge transgender community. And at the end of the day, the message is, you know, we we learned it when we were kids. Jesus loves me, this I know. (laughs) Yeah. And, And it distills down to being pretty much that simple. I love that. I love that. And somewhere along the way, I think the simplicity got lost and and how heartbreaking that is. And yet at the same time, even though the the mainstream piece seems to have really diluted the story, uh, there are so many that are starting to get this consciousness that, you know, maybe don't fit into the organized religion box. And yet at the same time, they're saying the same thing. And I think that has been the biggest aha moment for me, uh, you know, all of the things that I get to experience now were labeled as new age to me when I was a kid. And, you know, well, you can't do that and you can't do this and put this all in this big box and label it, don't touch. And the, the deeper that I got into studies, the more I found that it was actually all the same thing, even back to having scriptural references for so much of the energy work or healings or things like that. So it's just fascinating to me how the very foundation is just that it is that God is love. Yeah. Yeah. This is so fun. Okay. So, so here we are all the, the ooey gooey warm fun love stuff. <laughs> let's, let's go a little deeper. Um, Cause that wasn't always your story. That wasn't always the case. 
And I'm sorry, I don't know if you guys can hear. I'm getting a little bit of a static piece. Are you getting that at all, Mark? I'm not. Okay. I'm okay. I heard a little ping because I had a pop-up on my desktop, but I <laughs> hope that, that that didn't come through. But no, I'm I'm good. Are you okay, or do you want me to plug this? Does that help? Oh, there we go. That's perfect. Let's try that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this way without the headset as long as you can hear me. Yep, all good, all good. So sorry about that, guys. Um, you know no. that we do everything uh, very much as it happens here. I am not going to go back and edit that out because it's part of real life. And I feel very firmly that, um, you know, unless, like, something really catastrophic happens, it, you guys are normal people. We're normal people. We are having a conversation. And that is what happens in real life. So there you go. <laughs> so I'll get off my soapbox now. Um, okay, so, yeah. It hasn't been an easy journey, um, and the church has been a place of, of hope and love and reckoning for you now. Has it always been that way? Uh, I, I think it has. I have an interesting faith journey compared to a lot of people I know who were uh, made to feel very uncomfortable by the church. In some cases, parents, family, and church disowned them and I'm truly blessed to never have had that experience. I've had a rocky road where life kind of distanced itself. Um, I was raised in a house where my mother was Protestant and my father was Jewish. And from what I understand, and, and my dad's mom passed when I was fairly small, my understanding was that she made him and my mom promise that I would not be raised Jewish, we, the, the three of us, my siblings as well, not out of a problem she had with her religion, but the fact that they lived in a very Christian community. My grandparents owned a store in Philadelphia, just outside of Center City, where they sold women's hat, hats, gloves, and hosiery in a time where women wore nylons. Mm -hmm. back, and, back in those days. <laughs> yeah, and dressed and wore hats and, and gloves. Well, they were one of probably two Jewish families in several blocks. The other one owned a drugstore. And so the discrimination and the attitude and the challenges that they faced, she didn't want us to deal with. And I know my father worked for a large company, um, a manufacturing company, and he was one of maybe three Jewish guys in the whole place. Mm -hmm. And when we moved from Philadelphia to suburban Philadelphia out in Bucks County, when I was probably about six back in the 60s the closest synagogue was 15 20 minutes away there were not that many jewish people in the elementary school that i went to and fast forward now if you go geographically from where i grew up there are probably four synagogues and a lot of jewish people in in that part of the area so um you know i was raised protestant I don't know that my mom had ties to any one denomination. Um, we went to a local church that neighbors belonged to, part of the Reformed Church of America, um, a lot of older Dutch Reformed people, not necessarily going toward like Mennonite, mm -hmm. but definitely like that old school conservative. The church I went to was built in like 1610. Um, most of the people at the time I was growing up were old. I mean, they, they had to be at least over 60. There was a big gap between my parents who were younger and had small kids and most of the people who ran the church. Now, right. I have two pastors in my life who had kids that were my age within a couple years. So the pastors were younger, but there was definitely an age gap in our church. And not that the philosophy necessarily reflected that they were that old, um, but it was still fairly conservative. And I can remember over the years, my father went to Christmas Eve service 
with my mom and the family. We sat in the same pew. My mom's best friend would be there. And the pastors knew my dad. Hmm. And they looked for Marty. And even after my mom passed away, they were like, Marty, how are you? Good to see you. So they were welcoming. And I know that, um, you know, one of the pastors, when I came out as being gay, I lived away from home. Um, I had come home in, uh, from DC when I moved home in the late 80s and had some great conversations with him. And they seemed to be pretty accepting. I mean, when I was in my early teens, I taught Sunday school with younger kids. I was involved with the Boy Scout troop that was there. Um, so I don't know that there has ever been a shunning hmm. at any point in my life. There's Which always is kind been of a amazing because I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the stories that, I, that I've heard and that I've experienced from our guests, there's so many that just do not have that same experience of the warmth and the acceptance. So I'm so grateful that that's what you had um, because it's just heartbreaking to look at some of the others. Yeah, I think that most of my detachment from organized religion had a lot more to do with um, finding a spiritual home where I was comfortable mm -hmm. and work. Sure. When I worked in the restaurant business, I was there on Sundays and we were busy and trying to get to church. And if you worked Saturday night and you closed, I wasn't getting up to try to go before I went back in again. And most of the times that I was not part of a church was really because of distance. So um, really interesting story. When I left Philadelphia, I was very young. I lived in Dallas for the better part of my early 20s. I worked for Hyatt Hotels. They ran me ragged. Um, That's pretty consistent with hotel behavior, right? <laughs> yeah. Didn't, didn't really have a whole lot going on with friends who were part of a family of faith, um, moved to Washington, D.C. with Hyatt and was a rough point in my life. My mom was very ill. My mother died of uh, terminal breast cancer and beat the odds twice. She was diagnosed when I was eight. She passed when I was 27. Um, so... I, I, when I lived there, I, I don't know whether I was searching. I, there was a national march for gay and lesbian rights, and we're going back to the Reagan era in the middle of the AIDS epidemic in Washington, D.C. There were several hundred thousand gay and lesbian people coming to D.C., and at the time I lived just across the bridge in Alexandria, Virginia, and there was an interdenominational interfaith church service on the mall hmm. in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Wow. And I'm like, this sounds really cool. Hmm. I want to go to the march anyway, but I want to be there for this service. So I, I, I took the metro over, I got off and made my way literally to the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And I, they were getting ready to start. And I was off to the side of like where the podiums and stuff were. I was really up front. And you could see down the mall and there were hundreds of thousands of people lining either side of the reflecting pool between the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial. And this woman says, hey, can you help me with this? And they're putting together a banner and they're putting... Um, you know, like ties on it so that they can carry it. And I started talking with this whole group of people. Well, fast forward, end of the service, things get going. I'm still hanging out with these people. And next thing I know, I'm carrying the banner <laughs> for the Metropolitan Community Church denomination That's in amazing. front of 10,000 gay and lesbian Christians. That's amazing. And the more I started to talk to them, I'm like, these people are just like me. Mm. You know, they are, uh, you know, coming from different faith backgrounds and faith journeys. And 
they are gay and lesbian and they're, you know, they, they still believe in God regardless of what people have told them. Yeah. And then I became involved with the local church and absolutely loved it. One of the um, most important times in my life. I had lost my mom and things were really rough for me. Again, it was in the middle of the AIDS crisis and I was losing a friend a month. And uh, it, it was the place that I needed to be for me. Yeah. And um, made a lot of great friends, people that I'm still in touch with all this time later. Um, from there, I moved back to suburban Philadelphia to be with my dad. And I was working for a restaurant that was literally in the middle of nowhere, uh, <laughs> along the Delaware River, halfway between Philadelphia and New York, in a little town called Kintnersville. I mean, literally, there was nothing there but the weather. <laughs> um, so while I was around other gay people, I never found a church that I was really comfortable in. And then later on, as I met my husband, Chuck, and we lived in Center City, we went to a metropolitan community church. And with any church, it's a matter of finding a place that you fit in. Mm -hmm. And while I love the metropolitan community churches, I totally get that it's also got to be the right fit for you. Right. This absolutely. one was very inner city. It was extremely African-American to the point where Chuck and I were probably two of <laughs> maybe five non-black people in the church um, and extremely Pentecostal, you know? Um, so I, I think that had I taken the Pentecostal piece away from it, I would have been fine with the rest, but it was a strong mix of women and African-Americans and very Pentecostal. And I'm like, eh, it's not really a good fit for me. Um, but you knew yourself well enough to know that as opposed yeah. to trying and force it to fit. Right. And it's, it's funny because at the time I had started my wedding planning business, I think it was probably two or three years old when I met Chuck. So I was in and out of churches and synagogues on a regular basis. And All the time. <laughs> I, I, can, I can do mass up there with some of the, the best Catholics around. You know? <laughs> um, I, I, I just, I always felt a huge connection, certain places. Hmm. Um, Church of the Holy Trinity on Rittenhouse Square. To this day is one of my favorite places to go. And I think part of its history, they've got a huge collection of stained glass windows That's that are beautiful, beautiful church. Yeah. They have um, a, a triptych, a, a mural across the back of the altar that was of a little town of Bethlehem. The vicar of that congregation actually wrote a little town of Bethlehem. Hmm. Um, so just a lot of really cool energy there. And I think part of it was that Reverend Neil, who was there, British expatriate, he and his wife, you know, were, were there at the church, um, was really very open. And I did a wedding there where the bride's mother was Episcopal, mm -hmm. member of the church. Hmm. Bride's father was Jewish. Bride was marrying a Persian guy who was Muslim. So I love stuff like that. Like I love the interfaith wedding celebrations. They get me gooey all the time. <laughs> well, they did a private family Persian ceremony around the corner from them the night before. Well, working with Reverend Neil, we did a chuppah that sat on the altar under the cross hmm. with a reading from the Quran 
and they broke a glass at the end of the ceremony. And it's funny because somewhere it's still on video. He jokes that they had just redone the altar with the same historic tiles that they had through the rest of the church. And he's like, we just finished this and you're going to break a glass on my floor. <laughs> um, but just so open and welcoming. And I actually did another wedding there that was Jewish and Episcopal as well. Um, and I'm like, wow, you know? Yeah, it doesn't have to be so rigid. It doesn't have to be my way is the only way. It, there can be a way of blending together that is actually so much richer and deeper. And yeah, there's so many layers to that. I love it. And I wanted to, to call back to, as you're talking about being on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, and there's something so powerful about that moment. Again, I got chills just listening to your experience, and I could completely envision being there on the steps and kind of getting looped into this project together and that sense of camaraderie, but then also just the amazing power that would have been felt in that space. You know, I think about the Bible verse that says, when two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there. And to be able to recognize that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be in a church. It doesn't have to look like so many things we've been told it needs to look like. When you are in a spiritual journey, when you are open to just being involved with this, it really takes the lid off of what it has to be or, you know, any sort of definitions. So I love yeah. that idea. Yeah, and, and there was a, a space kind of in the middle of my life that was definitely more metaphysical, that was more outdoor, nature-based. I know that looking back at it, Christ was always the center of my life, but I also looked at the God created all of this, and there's way more energy there than can be contained in one building by one pastor. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so, you know, anyway, I, that was all part of the journey. And Chuck and I, when we moved to Florida, explored another church, another metropolitan community church. And when you talk about finding the right fit, great preaching, loved the church, was almost an hour from the house. Mm. And... We went every Sunday for six months. We were part of volunteering for Thanksgiving, for several other things, and literally, and we still joke about it, every Sunday that we walked in, the greeters, and a lot of times it was the same people, were like, hi, how are you? Welcome. Welcome. Is this your first time here? <laughs> oh, no. Dude. Like, you just saw me last week. Yeah, yeah. Oh, goodness. So while the preaching was great, the rest of it wasn't like, I've landed, we're home. Right, yeah, exactly. And we actually looked at a Methodist church just up the road from us that advertised as being open and affirming. Little rainbow flags on their website and, you know. And we went one Sunday and it was absolutely God's waiting room. You know, mm. at 50, we were the babies in this place <laughs> and all of the music sounded like a death march. Oh, it yeah. was That's just, awesome. it was really, really hard. And we're like, okay, bad week. Let's try it again. And it was no better. And we're like, no, this is just not the right fit. So I, I, I think my, my message for a lot of people is that you can find a place that, that's welcoming and that accepts you from where you are, but still may not be the right fit for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I remember my dad saying, I mean, because I grew up moving all the time, we finally sat down and counted. 
and I'd moved 16 times before I graduated high school. So in that process, of course, we're looking for a church home all the way, you know, along on these adventures. And I remember my dad's analogy, yeah, seriously, constantly. Uh, His was of a three-legged stool and that the teaching was one leg of the stool, the worship was another, and the community was a third. And so the idea that, you know, if you look, we had one church that was was good um, and it fit everything else, but we were driving an hour each way to go to service. So very much like you'd said. So when it came to the community aspect, you know, how much can you really get involved when everyone lives an hour away? It's not like you can just do the pop in, you know, for Sunday after church coffee or, you know, any of that type of a thing. You really have to plan for that. So we ended up not pursuing any sort of long term commitment with that church because it was so far away. Having said that, I also have my dad's voice in my head right now saying, well, a church that's alive is worth the drive. So I was like, well, wait a second, which one's true? <laughs> They're both true. It just really depends on how everything else really, really fits in. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's funny thinking back now of all the different all the different churches, all the different experiences, and uh, really understanding, I think, part of where my parents were coming from, you know, of course, with me being the only child, but still they had to look at the youth program, you know, any sort of whether that was the children's program when I was younger or any sort of youth group when you get into high school, you know, all of that kind of a thing that definitely had had an impact in. Um, And I had to laugh when you were talking about the the church in inner city Philly. Uh, I had the same experience, but in Massachusetts. So in Springfield, we were, um, I think there were only two white families. Everyone else was African-American and uh, so much fun, like so much fun. Not a quiet church service at right. all. Uh, and they're the ones that uh, got me involved with soul food. So when you were talking earlier at the very beginning about the soul food celebration, as soon as you're saying that, I'm thinking of like collard greens and big chunks of bacon. And yeah, so I'm like, yep, I'm right there with you. <laughs> It has taken me almost 16 years to get Chuck to eat collard greens. Now, (laughs) mind you, I was a chef in Dallas. I worked for Children's Medical Center where all of my staff were old school African-American women from East Texas and Arkansas who taught me to cook. Right. So he's like, no, 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 no. Last year, he went to the first soul food dinner Without me, I was still living up in Orlando, finishing up work, and he's sending me pictures. He's like, and these greens are amazing. I've gone back to birds. And I'm like, really? Because I tried to get you to eat these for, for almost how many years. years. <laughs> and now you're like, I literally had to talk to Millie and find out what she did with her greens so that I could make them because he liked them the way she did them. That is too funny. Oh, my goodness. But the community piece uh, plays a huge part into that whole story. I don't think the part in Philadelphia had to do as well. Parts of it were, yes, it was really Pentecostal. I mean, Chuck comes from a Catholic background, but had been involved in a very Pentecostal church over the years that my understanding tried to change him. Mm. And, you know, I I come from a little more conservative church, quiet church background. Let's do that one, you know? (laughs) Um, And so that and the fact that we weren't really connecting because they were mostly women couples, they were mostly African-American, was just not a good fit. And it's funny because you and I spent time together at Disney when, when you were there with the kids. And... We lived in Orlando for almost five years, and the church piece was almost symptomatic of life. Mm-hmm. Chuck was driving over an hour, three days a week, each way down here to work near Tampa. I was going 40 minutes the other direction for my job. We lived on the backside of Disney, and most of our friends lived 40, 50 an hour other directions mm-hmm. and there wasn't a sense there wasn't a sense of community for us and i think the move to saint pete not only did it get us i mean he's about 20 minutes to work and now i work from home um we were closer to the beach which we both loved there's a huge gay community here saint pete little saint pete has the largest pride parade in the state of florida 
bigger than Fort Lauderdale, which is huge, bigger than Orlando, which is huge. So there's a big community here. There's a great foodie community. There's a great arts community here. Um, amazing mural program and just always stuff going on. The Dolly Museum is incredible here. There's just community. And at the middle of that is the Metropolitan Community Church for us because most of the people that we've met that are foodies and involved in the arts community and doing stuff civically and whatever are, are all part of this, this church as well. So it was just that aha moment that, that literally everything came together. Right. So many layers of crossover to the things that really resonate with you and you're finding yeah. them all overlapping at the same place. That's yeah. really fun. And even that is such a gift because so many people, especially in this day and age, I feel like with so many of us being so transient and working so many hours and all of the rest of it, we talked you know, just briefly about both the hotel industry and the wedding industry. We are, yeah, <laughs> um, balanced life is not necessarily something anybody really talks about other than the fact of laughing at you hysterically when you bring it up in conversation in those industries because that's just not the way it is. And I don't know that we all know that when we sign up for those roles, but boy, do we find out pretty fast. So to be able to have one place that has all of those layers and again, we talked just briefly before we started recording about being a multifaceted person and the idea that our faith is one aspect of us, but that doesn't define who we are. It may enlighten, it may highlight other aspects of our being, but it doesn't, it's not only that one piece. You know, we still have the art lover, we have the beach lover, you know, we have the Disney fan, we have all of these pieces that make us who we are. So to be able to find a home where that's accepted on all counts, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, actually, it's really funny, and I, I'm I'm gonna call you out. Uh, I can I can remember it. I can remember sitting at an Association of Bridal Consultants meeting in Philadelphia, and hearing you talk to a group about burning the candle at both ends. So true. And I'm like, okay, she's been in the business a couple minutes, but it just gets crazier as you go and, and I think you know obviously as your business grew as the kids got older as life went on like that it's hard it's it hard, hard to find that balance in that industry because we are not a nine to fivers we play when everybody else is you know working or home or what you know and it's hard to to build that community in general, except for with other wedding people. Exactly. And in some extent, the hardest faith journey that I have had is with other wedding planners. I can understand that. And I, I can understand that because I know, I know what that means, or at least I, I know what I think you mean by that, but could you unpack that a bit further? Yeah. Um, one of a few guys who were planning weddings, especially when I started in late 90s, early 2000, a huge portion of wedding planners, especially at the time and still are, and I'm going to put this in huge air quotes, <laughs> church ladies. Mm -hmm. They were and are people who were members of that specific church who were responsible for the get you lined up, get you down the aisle, make sure that the church is open, that the lights are on, that the candles are lit, that it gets cleaned up afterwards. Thank you. Bye. Have a nice day. Mm -hmm. And because they were doing that, it grew into full wedding day coordination where they would help you with the other aspects. And then sometimes full service planning. Well, a large portion of that ran in two big gullies. The Catholic Church had their church ladies and a lot of African-American-based churches had their church ladies. And this group was the one who really went on to become wedding planners. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was really hard being openly gay, not even being a person of faith, and being accepted by those wedding planners. Hmm. 
there were lots of people who were like, wow, this guy's a great wedding planner. He really knows his shit, but still really kept their distance because of their faith journey and me being openly gay. Mm-hmm. Now, right, did that affect my... Well, they're likely in an environment that is is telling them that there must be something wrong with you and that you are to be avoided. There, There is an excommunication factor that comes in to that layer of, of the church uh, in that particular instance uh, referring to. So I can totally understand the end result is that chasm of community that's missing in that space. And like we talked about, that, that was the only community that we really had at that stage of life. Yeah, and I I think the funny part of that is that most of them were not close friends. I have a number of very close African-American women wedding planners that are people of faith who absolutely love me, adore me, enjoy my company. Um, We're great. I think it's people on the outside world who were like, oh, this guy's a great wedding planner and he's gay and kind of kept their distance mm. and didn't change my day-to-day life. Didn't, you know, affect the way that I did business, nothing. It was just interesting because a, it's not something I've ever experienced. My communities of faith have always been very welcoming of me and interesting how they could <laughs> love the sin hate the sitter. <laughs> Boy, where have we heard that before? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that kind of like w- was a big eye-opening for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, And it, it's funny because moving forward, there are still people, as I have become more and more open about my faith journey, and I think because... I met married a man who is also very spiritual um, that I've been more open about it, that there are people that are like, really? <laughs> like, how can you, how can you be gay and still be a Christian, but they know me and they know my relationship and they see my life and they see my example. And they're like, this is interesting. I've never seen this before. So, you know, I I still get that, that raised eyebrow just a little bit from some people. Um, Again, you know, the social media community is fun. It's engaging. I get to keep in touch with people from kindergarten. I mean, all the way through, but at the end of the day, if you don't like the way that I'm living my life and you can't accept the fact that I'm Christian, then that, that's your problem. I mean, right. I, I actually, um, I had a woman who reached out to me that I've known, not well, but known since probably junior high school, who's very religious, who's oldest son is gay and was going off to college and they couldn't tell his father. Mm. And she had seen some of my posts and she reached out to me in a private message and said, can we talk? I really need to like figure some stuff out. Mm. End of the day, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There are a lot of people that I meet through church who I hate to use the word damage, but they've been, they've been damaged by the church. You know, there were people who were pastor's kids Mm -hmm. who have been pretty much essentially disowned people that the church tried to change people that were excommunicated. Um, people who just distanced themselves because they were hearing a message of God loves you, except for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thankful that it wasn't me and my heart breaks for them, but I'm also really glad that they found a place that fits for them, that they can come back to 
a church and a community of faith. And I, for a couple hours, worked the church booth at Gay Pride. And standing in the street at Pride Fest, talking to people, I'm blown away by the number of people who you get to the word church and they completely shut down. No thanks. Don't want to hear about, you know, hi, are you familiar with King of Peace? We're right here in the neighborhood. We're an open and affirming church. And they're like, oh, nope, done. Done. Yep. I'm out. Done. Um, And that, that broke my heart. Mm -hmm. That was really very tough to hear from so many people. (laughs) It was funny because I actually got to the point where our church does a live Facebook broadcast of our services Mm -hmm. and it stays on Facebook. And I'm like, do me a favor. You don't even have to come in, go to the Facebook page, listen to it, Mm -hmm. hear what the message is and the people that are here in the comfort of your own home whenever you want and then decide if it's something that works for you yeah that's great and I love the the openness to that invitation like outside of anything you know that we've talked about with the the idea of open specifically referring to sexuality or gender or race or whatever but the openness in saying if this resonates with you then come join us and come learn more and experience it for yourself instead of just through the computer screen. But just even even in that way of expressing hospitality, because I think really one of the things I've always appreciated about you and that we've shared from the very beginning is this love for and deep understanding and respect of hospitality. Because really at the end of the day, you know, all the etiquette rules, all of those things, they're really only in existence to help people feel more comfortable. And as society changed, we needed to change the etiquette in order to keep up with things. But it was really just so that everyone knew what to expect and have a comfortable open setting so that people could just be themselves and not be worried about whether they were doing things right or wrong or what have you. So it's so interesting to me, the idea (laughs) of translating that into a place of faith, the idea being that, you know, really, it it really is something as simple as just come as you are. Because I think one of the things that I remember uh, growing up in the church is this idea of the the choices we make, the external efforts. You know, I was already predisposed to be a perfectionist and to be a people pleaser and to be a workaholic. So first of all, weddings were perfect for me because hello, that feeds into all of my neuroses. But then secondly, you know, when you look at the idea of hospitality and blend that with faith, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't have to do all of that work and I didn't have to earn any of this acceptance and yet boy did I feel like I did based on the particular environment that I was in because I was held up as the poster child and I was the one that went on the missions trips as a teenager and you know all of those things where it became more about what I was doing instead of actually just who I was as a person outside of all of those things. So I think it's so interesting that at the end of the day the hospitality is the piece that I hear that that rings true for me in that openness and the invitation just to join up during this phase of life. Like just do life together, whatever messy thing that might look like. That's really what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. What an adventure we've had, huh? Yeah. Journey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been, it's absolutely been a journey. Oh, and I love, by the way, that you uh, you called me out on the, the burning the candle at both ends piece because um, I wanted to mention the idea of self-care in self-discovery, um, and I almost forgot. So thank you, by the <laughs> way, for that. That was perfect. It's for me, I found that it wasn't until I took the time to get very clear about who I was and how I needed to care for myself before I could really open up spiritually again. Um, because I, I definitely went through that, that phase of being damaged goods and feeling like uh, the guilt, I mean, the guilt from choosing to end the marriage with my kid's dad, I still stand by my decision, but being in the church in that scenario, the guilt was 
absolutely immense, absolutely immense. And, and there's one piece where, you know, the church that I was had a part of, had been a part of for 10 years um, prior to this point, really was amazing and so supportive and so helpful. And then somewhere along the way that changed and it was the idea of, okay, well now that this is who you are, because of course I'm only defined by one thing, um, now that you're the single mom, here's how we think you should be doing your life. And it was just kind of like, hold up a second. But that resulted in yet another layer that I needed to get clear on who I was and what I needed in order to see that for what it was and to be able to evaluate, you know, what's in my best interest and, and what's not. What's what's a form of wanting to control behavior as opposed to, you know, really connect directly with God and directly with source and to have this, you know, spiritual journey that doesn't need to look like what anyone else thinks it needs to look like. So I love that you mentioned the, the self-care piece because for me that was definitely a way back to my spiritual self. Yeah, and it's funny because I think part of the message that I hear on a regular basis is we're all broken. We are all broken in some way, whether the world sees it or not, Mm -hmm. whether we admit it to ourselves or not, and that's okay. Um, So (laughs) back in the mid 80s when I lived in Dallas, there was a large missionary college in Dallas. Doesn't surprise you, I'm sure. Not at all. Um, But a lot of the kids from there worked at the hotel. We weren't that far away. And I had several that worked directly for me. And I vividly remember this guy named Mike who had come out of a couple years in the Marine Corps and was hardcore Bible thumper and could not wrap his brain around the facts that I was gay and Christian. Hmm. To the point where he showed up one day with a whole series of scripture verses for me and for about a minute it really crushed my spirit and I don't know whether it was the fact that this is what this says crushed my spirit or whether it was how is he this naive Mm. and I I think one of the big realizations in my life, and and it is an ongoing conversation with people, there was a class that I took in D.C. called The Bible and Homosexuality that basically went back through the translations of the Bible to the fact that in the original Hebraic and Aramaic translations of the Bible, there is no word for homosexuality. The whole conversation with, you know, with Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot had to do with a lot of other things that really had nothing to do with homosexuality. And reading so much of that and being like, how are people, and I don't want to say naive, Spiritually immature is probably the best word that that comes to light for me. God's hand did not reach out of the cloud and write all of this down with his own hand. Mm -hmm. The Gospels are inspired works told by a number of different people. They were fables and stories that were shared over generations that were all written down about creation and the life of this man, son of God. Hmm. Somewhere along the way, here comes your word. We all fucked this up. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. White, affluent, Europeans 
in a male-dominated society, mm-hmm. rewrote and retranslated and changed for their own benefit yes. all of these stories. And yet there are people that are like, the word of God. And I'm like, yeah, okay, the inspired word of God. Right. The word of God that reveals the spirit of God. I could even get there. Like just the yeah. idea of like, let's get back to the spirit and let's, let's focus in on the relationship of a direct connection because I don't need to have my spirituality confirmed by someone else or have it directed by someone else. And I think that's where things get hung up because I think the church could be such a huge, powerful example of the community. And that's what you have. And I think there are so many that don't necessarily have it to that potential and have that level of uh, humanity and acceptance and the idea that we each have our own direct relationship as opposed to needing to fit some formulaic piece. And I was like, as, as we used to say in the South, I was fixing to have church right about there uh, as you're talking about the, you know, just the idea of how this shift came to be and where we really, as organized religion, I can't believe I just said we there. Wow. But yeah, I will own my part in that. Um, but yeah, just the idea, it, it's so fucked up that it's so far away from where God is and the the love and the absolute, I want to say adoration. Like it's just, love I feel like is just too easy of a word, but just how much God loves us and that it doesn't have to look like what we've always been told that it needs to look like. And especially hitting on the patriarchy, we were definitely going to be diving deep, deep into patriarchy and misogyny in the church. And those are invitations and conversations I cannot wait to get into. And so tying in with that and going back to the whole wedding planner world, I am amazed when I talk to wedding planners and especially women and especially African-American women who are like, this is the absolute infallible word of God. And it says you are not okay. Mm. And I'm like, okay, so let's start with the fact that according to this, you shouldn't be reading it at all. According to this, you are still okay to be a slave. You are still okay to be this. You are still okay to be that. And then I jump off on the who's eating pork, who's eating shellfish, who's cutting their hair, who's wearing mixed fibers, Mm -hmm. who is working on the Sabbath, and why is it okay for you to pick and choose exactly what it is that you want to follow of the infallible word of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's where we say mic drop. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly it. I think that so, so often along the way, people have become very comfortable with making the word say whatever it is that they want it to say in order to prove, and I'm using air quotes here, themselves to be <laughs> true. And in reality, I feel like feel like there is a piece of, of God's heart that just must be breaking over this because really if we believe that the the bottom line message is that God is love period exclamation point stop how many ways have we just screwed that up yeah so two things because I know we need to wrap here we do <laughs> this is the problem they, we could just talk for forever I know and so and they The first piece I love just because one of my favorite books in the world is everything I needed to learn about life I learned in kindergarten. Love it. Tie that in with Jesus loves the little children. Mm -hmm. It really boils down to being pretty much that simple. And I think we've all forgotten it. Yeah. The other piece on the opposite end of the spectrum is... (laughs) when we have the Jehovah's Witnesses that come knocking at our door, and we do on a regular basis here for some reason. (laughs) Um, My favorite answer, 
and it generally keeps them away for a while is when they say to me, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Like, absolutely. And my husband and I are very active in our local community of faith. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all we need to know. Thank you. That's awesome. I love it. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time and your energy just to be in this conversation and to share your heart with us. I really appreciate it. You are very welcome. I'm thrilled to spend any time I can with you. So this has been a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much. Well, join us next time around as we jump right back in because we are not going for the light stuff here. This is the, the deep conversation. So thank you, Mark. We will see you guys soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.